need one this morning? You good? All right, because we have them if you need them. All right. All right, great. Great. Well, it's great being with you here this morning. And uh, let me just say uh, a word about Pastor Terry and, and Diane. And I've known actually Diane for years. I mean, maybe it's over 20 years. And uh, she was in my wife and I's uh, singles group. We had a singles ministry, and she was in it when she was single. I forgot how long they've been married now. How many years has it been? 15? So it's probably about 20 years ago that I knew Diane. And then uh, she met this guy out of Rama, the name uh, Terry Seal. And he kind of uh, stole her away from our singles group. And, uh, and then uh, over the years, here and there, I've gotten to know Pastor Terry. And really, most of our relationship has been convened on the tennis court. And, uh, of course, you're going to understand this really well, but uh, when I play tennis, it's for blood. It's win at all costs. I try to retain some semblance of Christian fundamental belief, but I lose some of it, and it's still it's a work in progress for me. When it comes to sports, I mean, it's I, I get into this alter ego. Now, Terry, on the other hand, Pastor Terry, he is the nicest man I've ever met. I mean, on the tennis court, he apologizes for him hitting a bad shot. I'm celebrating. Thank God you blew it, you know, and... And he's like, oh, look, I'm sorry, I had a bad shot. I'm going, I've never heard that before. Somebody apologizing for a bad shot. Just the nicest kind of, seriously, really one of the nicest men I've ever met. And uh, in love with God, very faithful. One thing about Pastor Terry, he's just consistent. From my vantage point, just consistent across the board. There's no real high or low mood swings, just steady. Steady, steady. And he's just a steady man of God, consistent man of God. And uh, I've come to, to love him uh, in that way. And so we're about even on the tennis court. And so it's still, uh, you know, we're working ourselves through that. So you're, uh, you're blessed with really fine pastors that really love God and that are really deep in the Word of God. I mean, that they're committed to God's ways. And I know that's what comes out of them when they... They minister. It's good to be part of Summit Church. I've never actually been here before, but I know some of you. I've known Dale and Donna Francis for it. It's got to be over 20 years, maybe closer to 25, but 20 something. And Dale and Donna are just. Where's Donna? Did she? She left. She's smoking out in the parking lot. She's gone. All right. Um, and they're they're just two of the sweetest people you'd ever meet. And uh, all these years. Uh, they they have been, um, how do I say, we always put Dale and Donna up front where all the people are, greeting out the door or wherever, because it's, it's, if you came in contact with Dale and Donna, then you're going to really like the church because they're just wonderful relational people and love Dale and Donna so much. And I saw Vicki and then Bob, I shout out to you, Bob and Vicki Schmidt, known them for years, probably about 20-something years as well or so, and so... It's great seeing you and Gary Borgens and his wife Sandy, known them for, you know, something like that, 15, 
20, 100 years. Uh, yeah, something like that. So, and I might be missing a few folks, but uh, it's really great being with you today. Let me pray, and then I'll dive into the subject that I feel like the Lord wants me to share this morning. Spirit of God, I'm asking that there, that there would be a divine impartation, that there would be a transfer of life into our spirit today. I ask God that there would be a deposit out of your ways into our heart today. Bring a transformative work of your spirit through your word that would deepen us, mature us, and strengthen us to be anchors in a tossed world in the days to come. Strengthen this church with a spirit of might out of the treasury of your glory to be a stabilizer, to be a shock absorber of Christian virtue in this community as times vacillate in the days to come. Make this place a beacon of deep hope. Not shallow enthusiasm, but deep hope. That could be life preservers for numbers of people that you want to draw into this place. I ask you in the name of Jesus Christ, make my tongue like the pen of a skillful writer today that I could write appropriately in a manner that makes your heart glad, God, and in such a way that would be good for the people, this people. I pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. We're, I'm going to preach today on a subject called a life of no offense. A life of no offense. Good to see you. Are you who I think you are? Is your name Peggy? Hey, Peggy. It's good to see you. Yeah, all right. Sorry, think, you know, the lights are starting to come on as I see different people. It's been a long time. It's good to see you, Peggy. Um, a life of no offense. Now, I know you've heard messages preached, and rightly so, on ridding ourselves of offense toward others and unforgiveness and that kind of thing, and a quality subject indeed. That's not my subject today. I want to talk about a life of no offense toward God. Now, an immediate reaction could be a pushback and say, well, I'm never going to get offended at God. But let me break this open a little bit and let this be a, a word that um, will deepen us in the subject today. Now, when bad things happen to people, troubling things, undefined things, and I know we can all have a variety of different theological persuasions and bents that we can maybe even feel very apt at explaining why bad things happen. But, you know, uh, I've been in this thing for a while, too, and I'll tell you what, the, the older I get in the Lord, the more mysteries I seem to face and more unexplained things in the kingdom that I used to, in my youthful zeal, be able to really connect the dots well and say, well, it's because of this, it's because of that, it's because of that, because of that, because of that. I'm becoming less hmm, scripted and having a sense of compulsion or even pressure to have to explain everything to everybody. Are you tracking with me so far? Seems like the, the more that I mature in the kingdom, and it's a process, and it's a real work in progress with me, Seems like as I mature in the kingdom, things that I used to know very well, seemingly, 
are things that I now realize, you know, there's a lot more to it than what I thought. And so I'm going to back off the trite answers. And I'm not going to have to uh, pressure myself to be theologically all established and realize that there's a lot of mystery to life. You with me? Now, I, I ran across this T-shirt the other day. I, I, was at a, I was at a hippie shop in Columbia, Missouri. And uh, I kind of like those places. And, uh, of course, you have to weed out the bad. But here's something here that I thought was a great, great thing. Now, I'm going to use the word, bear with me, doo-doo. Is that okay with you? Doo-doo. Are we okay? I already ran it past Pastor Terry, and we tried to do a little, you know, word search on it, and we thought, yeah, doo-doo would be good. So here are the various religions' approach to why doo-doo happens. You ready? Okay. Taoism. Asian mysticism kind of thing. Taoism. Basically, doo-doo happens. Hinduism. Hinduism. Doo-doo happened before. That's a religious explanation. Buddhism. It is only the illusion of doo-doo happening. See, every religion has answers for why bad things happen. Zen. What is the sound of doo-doo happening? Islam. If doo-doo happens, it's the will of Allah. That's the way we understand it. Jehovah's Witness. Knock, knock, doo-doo happens. Maybe you've heard that. Atheism. There's no such thing as doo-doo. Agnosticism. Maybe doo-doo happens, maybe it doesn't. Okay, let's drive it a little bit closer to home. Protestantism. Doo-doo won't happen if I work harder. Bless God. Catholicism. If doo-doo happens, I deserve it. Anybody a former Catholic? Judaism. Why does doo-doo always happen to me? Tele-evangelism. I can laugh at myself here, right? I'm part of Joyce Meyer Ministries. Send money or doo-doo will happen to you. Yeah? Okay, if you don't like that. Rastafarianism. Smoke that doo-doo. And then, of course, Unitarianism. Who gives a doo-doo? So every religion has their answers. And yet I find that there are seven different mysteries in the New Testament. Seven different distinct mysteries. And I've enjoyed searching through this study. Won't go through all of them today. Well, let me just pick out a few. There's the mystery of lawlessness. And it particularly, it's a mystery. We can explain it to a certain level. And you can always just say, well, it's just the devil. And, and we can be real simplistic. And, and that's cool. That's, that's true. There's truth in that. But there's more to it than that usually. There's the mystery of lawlessness. You remember back in 1999, kind of the first school shooting that triggered the world we live in today. In Columbine, Colorado, it was over 10 people including uh, some professors and administration that were shot and killed. One of the 
girls, actually the first girl that was shot and killed that day was a just a burgeoning, wonderful young lady, full of God, loved God with all of her heart. It was a real light to that school. And uh, she died that night. That next morning, Good Morning America was there on scene. And it's the, the uh, ex-wife of Arlen, Ar- Arnold Schwarzenegger. What was her name? Maria Shriver was there either with uh, Good Morning America or I'm, I'm not sure. One of the news, morning news, was there interviewing the father of the girl that had just been shot and killed the previous day. And everybody knew the girl that was shot and killed was a Christian. And everybody knew that this parent, this parent was a strong believer. And Maria Shriver asked the question, where was God when your daughter was murdered yesterday? And this man said something unforgettable. He said, God was where he always is on the throne. Maria Shriver backed off and whispered during a break and said, Can I speak to you afterwards? And got some wisdom from that man. Probably could use it these days with respect. But mystery of lawlessness. Why bad things happen sometimes? Lawless things. There's the mystery of faith. (laughs) You've been there, haven't you? You believed God? God, I believe you. Philippians 4.19 says, and I, and I need it by Friday. <laughs> you know, and that's okay. And we get to the mailbox on Friday and it's not there. And it's a mystery. Because we believed. We had it all squared up. You know, had it all squared up. But it didn't happen. Prayed for healing. Had it all squared up theologically and didn't happen. You've been there? Because if you haven't, you will. What do you do with mysteries? When, when I was five years old, my dad was run over by a drunk driver. And it, it did terrific damage to his body. Punctured his lungs, broke both of his legs, broke both of his arms. The worst of it, though, is that he sustained... Heavy brain damage. Was in a coma. I was five years old. It's back in the 60s. He was in a coma for three months. This is back in the 60s. So he's just, you know, barely being kept alive in a coma. I remember going to see him as a kid. Of course, he's out. I couldn't understand it. And after three months, he woke up. Shocked the nursing staff. Shocked all of us. He woke up and got up. And it was like it was a real resurrection kind of experience. That's cool. What wasn't cool is his brain never woke up. Partially. And my dad was brain damaged the rest of his life. Passed away in 91. Terrific brain damage. And it was a struggle. It was a struggle. There were sometimes growing up with respect. I say this because I really love my dad. But I say this with respect. Many times our situation was I raised my dad more than he raised me. So it was a challenge for this boy. I remember my dad right after he came home from the accident because he knew he wasn't right. And that was very frustrating for him. 
And, and so he would go into the bathroom and shut the door and, and sit down on stool and he'd pray. Very simple prayer. I remember it like it was yesterday. He said, God, heal me. That's all he said. God, heal me. He'd repeat it, repeat it. Heal me. Heal me. Well, this five-year-old kid, uh, my dad never knew it. But I would hear my dad pray, and so I'd sneak up on the other side of the bathroom door. And every time my dad would say, God, heal me, I'd say, God, heal my dad. God, heal my dad. I wanted him back. He wanted to come back. This went on for a little over a year, almost every day. God, heal me. God, heal my dad. We were crying out to the living God. And it never happened. A lot of times we do get healed. It's cool, isn't it? There's room to believe. It's the Word of God. But what do you do when it doesn't happen? The mystery of faith. Sometimes we pray, we believe, it doesn't happen. There's other mysteries. There's the mystery of marriage. Yeah. Yeah. My, my wife and I, and we've really got a good marriage. We've worked hard on it. God's really blessed us. I'm very, very fortunate. We're, we were 29 years old last Monday. We're 29 years of marriage. And Dale and Don, how long have you been married? 33. 33. Who, oh, anybody been married 40? Bob, Vicky? 50. 50. 50. Okay, I defer to Bob and Vicki Schmidt. 50 years. How long have you been married? 71. I defer to you. We all defer to you. Oh, great one. That's phenomenal. 71. 50. Okay. You, you can be married for a while and, and many years and really come to understand each other really relate to each other. But even when you get to that point, Bob and Vicky, there are still times that it's a mystery. And Bob's a mystery. And Vicky's a mystery. I still can't figure out why do you do that? Why why do you it you know, there's always mystery in marriage, isn't there? You know there is. You know there is. Like for example, my wife and I and, and you know the we're growing together more and more all the years. It's great. But, but when we're driving in the car, and I'm driving, and she's in the passenger seat, she does this thing. I don't know if you know about this. Um, we'll be driving along, and everything's cool, and, and somebody's braking in front of me, and I'm going to brake in, in normal. And she, she'll hit the dash, hit the car. Oh, oh. And I go, everything's cool. We're going to stop. How many times have I ever been in an accident with you in 29 years? Zero. Key zero. Everything's cool. Or somebody gets a little too close on a side lane, or we, I pull in a little bit too tight in a lane. Ho, 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 ho. Now, I finally realized, Penny, Penny says it's a spatial gifting. It's like a gift from God. It's a spatial gifting. She understands spatial issues. And, 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 there, and there really is some truth to it. And, but as men, we don't really have that kind of spatial thing. And that will always be a mystery to me. There's always mystery in marriage. There's seven mysteries throughout the Bible. We'll go through all of them. But, but the Bible's full of mysteries. Thesis number one, there is a part of God that's mysterious to His delight. 
and there's purpose in it. And if we can flow with it and respond right to it, it will engage our heart to be deeper in God. And there's mysteries in the Bible, plenty of them. I'm going to read this story here in Matthew 11. I think we have it up on the screen. Matthew 11, 2 through 6. You remember the story. We're going to do it out of the Amplified here. But this is when John the Baptist was thrown in prison. And he'd really marked, that's Jesus, but now he's in prison. And he knows his days are numbered. And it's a very, very difficult situation. And he sends his disciples to Jesus to inquire, hey, are you, I just want to make sure, are you the man? Just, just got to get this settled. Are you the one? And this is what Jesus told the disciples. When Jesus had finished charge to his 12 disciples, he, is that, go on to verse 2. There we go. Now, when John in prison heard about the activities of Christ, he sent a message by his disciples and asked him, are you the one who was to come or should we keep on expecting a different one? And Jesus replied to them, go and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed by healing, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel, the, the good news, the gospel preached to them. Hey, this is the right guy. This is pretty cool, isn't it? The dead are being raised, people are being healed, the lame are walking. Can you imagine the disciples of John going, yeah, yeah, cha ching cha ching this is the one. Yeah. This is what we always dreamed of. Boss is going to be so glad to hear this. Then look what Jesus said. And blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied is he who takes no offense at me and finds no cause for stumbling in or through me and is not hindered from seeing the truth. Here's the way I imagine it. The disciples come to Jesus. I mean, John, you know John. He's in prison and he wa he's wanting to know, want to just verify everything. And Jesus said, you tell him, man, I'm healing the sick. The dead are being raised up. The lepers are being cleansed. And those disciples were thrilled. And then I kind of imagine, you permit me to imagine, that they kind of start walking away going, this is cool, everything, it's great. It's all we need. We're good. We're good. And Jesus said, oh, wait, I'll just I'll tell you one more thing. And that is, you're blessed if you never get offended at me. Really out of left field. And I think if I was one of the disciples, I'd have gone, ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's, that's good. Let's just move on. I don't think they got it. I mean, it, it doesn't flow with the litany of the miracles. And I think they probably just like, did you get that? <laughs> I don't know. Let's just, let's just go. Then they go to John and they report to John everything that they heard from Jesus. And, and John said, what would you find out? And they said, he is the man. All is well. The lame are being healed. The lepers are being cleansed. Everybody's getting set free. And, and, and John's going, oh, yeah. It's good. This is good. Um, did, did, anything else? Did he say anything else? And the disciples go, oh, well, yeah, I mean, he did. <laughs> I really don't know what he meant. But he said, blessed are you if you don't get offended at me. Uh, uh. And I imagine that could have troubled their heart. But you know what? Days later, 
these disciples of John would see their man beheaded, his head on a plate. And Jesus didn't show up. And God didn't do a prevention. And just days later, those disciples are going to need that word. What happens when your leader's head is on a plate? I'm really cool with the healings. I'm really cool with the miracles. I'm really cool getting set free. I'm really cool with the, pay, with, the, with the check in the mailbox on Friday. I'm very cool with that. Aren't you? But it, am I going to be cool with a head on a plate that was my leader? And those words hopefully would come back to flow through them. Blessed are you if you don't get offended at me. Now, the word offense, there's two different words. One is scandalon. John Bevere's made that very clear to us. And it's a, it's a trap where I get entrapped if I get offended with you and unforgiveness sets in. It's a trap. But here is a different word. Let's just pretend like this is a little rock on a path. This word offense that Jesus used means little stone or little pebble. And it was a day-to-day agrarian word. Everybody knew this Greek word, offense. It's a little stone. It's what you just kind of trip over a little bit on your dusty trail walk to the next town. Just little pebbles. And Jesus said, blessed are you if you don't trip up on just the little pebbles of things that you will never understand. Blessed are you that you don't stop or push back Or withhold your faith the next time you need to believe for healing when it didn't happen last time? Blessed are you that you don't push back and disbelieve my word when it didn't seemingly come to pass. You tracking with me? Blessed are you that can step over those little pebbles in the road of life. There's all kinds of mysteries in the Bible. How about when Jesus got word that Lazarus was dying? That's a funky story, isn't it? Okay, they bring word to Jesus. You remember it? But let's just rehearse it. And what did Jesus do? He stayed in the same place two more days. What? Have you ever had a situation where you said, Lord, I need you now. And the Lord doesn't show up for a couple of days? Seemingly, experientially, it feels that way. The check comes several weeks later. The, the whatever happens later. Jesus didn't show up for two days. By the time he got there, Lazarus had been dead for. It's an interesting sense of timing here. And, and Jesus said, look, I, I'm doing this so you believe. I'm wanting to strengthen your ability to believe when you don't see. How about when Jesus fell asleep on the boat? He must have been, it must have been a a, a long day that day. And it's a rough storm. They thought they're going to perish, all the disciples. And Jesus is asleep in the boat. Have you ever felt like God was asleep in the middle of your storm? He neither sleeps nor slumbers, but sometimes experientially it can feel that way, can't it? I'm going through this relational fracture. And I'm crying out to you, God, and I don't get delivered. It doesn't happen the way I'm crying out for. And I even have scriptures to proof text the whole thing. It should go this way, and it doesn't. 
And when that happens, for example, when Jesus fell asleep in the boat, you know what? When it seems like God falls asleep in your life, He wants to wake something up in you. He wants to awaken something in me. More on that later. How about when James, you know, James and John, those sons of thunder, James was taken by Herod and, and he was killed by the sword. Remember that? Uh, I think it's Acts chapter 12. And everybody, was the pagans were thrilled. So then he took Peter and threw him into prison. And the night before he would be fed to the lions, remember what happened to Peter? An angel breaks through, loosens his chains, leads him out. He feels like he's in a dream and leads him out right into a prayer meeting. And he's delivered. What are you going to do if you're in James's Bible study? And James is your pastor. And he gets killed with a sword. But then you go down the street to Peter's church and he gets delivered supernaturally. Am I going to trip? Am I going to push back a little bit? Am I going to develop a bit of a callous? I, can, I still love God. But rather than wholehearted, it's like three-quarter heart or half-hearted. Because I callous myself to prevent myself from being hurt again by venturing into belief. So I just hold back just a little bit. I keep some of my chips to myself rather than put all the chips on the table with God in belief. You still tracking with me? Mysteries after mysteries. Now, what I want to propose to you is three different key things of how to respond to mysteries in life. Remember, David said, Yea, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, so on and so forth. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here's point number one. I think we have it for the screen. Point number one is what I call the why what principle. When we go through mysteries... And there's those little stumbling stones that can trip me up. One of the principles that has served me well for years is the why what principle. Rather than going why, I need to respond to a mystery in my life by saying, okay, what? Now, it's okay to have an authentic why. We're only human. Jesus, in his human side, cried out on the cross, why have you forsaken me? There's a legitimacy in that. But it's illegitimate to stay there. It's illegitimate for a believer. It's not legit. I can have that initial reaction. God, why did this happen to my dad? Why did this happen to you? And that's legit. But I can't stay there. That will disqualify me at some level from being wholehearted toward God. Some people run into a why and they keep that in their pocket the rest of their life. They just put it in there. And it weighs down their ability to be childlike before God. It multiplies. More whys add up. The more whys add up and the heavier that they get, the more difficult it is to be positive. You know what I'm saying? And so we can accumulate whys. And they're like, they may not be sins, but they're weights, what Hebrews 12 calls weights that easily entangles us. 
And the Lord wants us to be, if you will, as best as possible, to be weightless. To be able to float through, I mean, feet on the ground, but float through the mysteries of life. Now, Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? But he quickly moved it into a what question? Nevertheless, in your hands, I commit my spirit. That was a what am I going to do? What's going to be my response? You know what's my response going to be? Why have you forsaken me? I don't know. But, but you know what? Into your hands, I commit my spirit. I'm in all the way. All the chips are on the table. I'm not holding anything back for the next hand. I'm in. I'm not withholding anything from you, God. I don't understand what's going on, but nevertheless, I will bless you forever, David said. Job, I don't know what's going on yet. I will praise you as long as I live. Even if you slay me. Well, that's... There's maturity in that. Excuse me, didn't mean to spit it. But, I mean, theologically, we may have understanding that Job didn't, but let's don't stop there and be fossilized by our theological formations. Let's be real. And say, you know what? There's Some of this is just a mystery. I can't even explain to you why all that happened to you. But it's not the why question. You don't get fixated on trying to answer the why questions. But focus your attention and your energy on what? What's going to be your response? What are you going to do now in the midst of this issue? Miss this situation. Let's be a what church, not a why church. Hey, the whole community's why people. The news is why people. Well, why the hurricane in New York? Well, why didn't this blizzard there? Why they have the hur? Why they have the earthquake there? Why this? Why that? Why that? Why that? Why that? We're fixated with human. Humanity is fixated with the whys, and they long for a people of God to come forth and say, "You know what." I can't figure it all out either. Here's a little bit. Here's a little bit of understanding. But I will not pretend that I understand all this. But the, the world is looking for a community of people of God that will say, but let me tell you, here's what you do. It's not why do bad things happen to good people. It's what do good people do when bad things happen to them. That's the challenge. That's what makes a people tough in God. I don't mean callous and I don't mean insensitive. But... Something just happened. Strengthened it, God. Am I okay? Somebody turning me off? Okay, all right, good. All right. Is that just me or is that okay with you? All right. So the why what principle. What are you going to do? You know what? When When you review the songs of heaven in Revelation, there's about six of them. There's no songs in Revelation that have to do with why. Oh, God. Why did your judgments come? Why did you? No. You know the songs of heaven? It's always blessing and glory and honor and praise be to you forever and ever and ever. For you you were and you are and you are to come. And you're the lamb who's, who's worthy to open up the scrolls. It's all, even your judgments are good. They're beautiful. And if you dive into that, it could be a couple of million people being destroyed through judgment on the earth at the time, and yet heaven's crying out, Oh God, your judgments, they're good. They're right. They're Wow. Heaven's got a different tune than the earth does. It marches to music that's different than we characteristically are used to. And I, I become more heaven-like when I respond to mysteries in my life with a, Oh God, I, I can't understand why, but what? You are worthy forever, and I will love you forever. And you know what? I don't have to have the answer. 
God. Just want you to know, between you and me, I never have to know. I'm going to step around that. Why? And I'm going to love you all the more. Can you drop all your whys? Or do I have to have them? You know, I've heard some people say, kind of jokingly, but you know what? When I get to heaven, I've got a lot of questions. And I'm going to, you know, I'm, well, I'm going I'm to ask the Lord this when I go to heaven. Here's my impression. <laughs> you're not going to have any questions in heaven. about the, You're not even going to care. All that is going to like just wash off of you in the air. All the why, why this? Well, when I get to heaven, I've got a list of questions. No, you won't. You could give a rip. It's meaningless because it all is right in God. And He is good and His mercy endures forever over the mysteries, over the Columbine, over my daddy, over the, it's all good. I mean, there is a phrase, you know, it's all good. But in God, in the kingdom, when we sovereignly understand that He will have His way and He'll not be pushed around by our belligerence and insistence in faith. But when He... I think he loves it when I come to him and say, you know, Father, if you want to tell me why, that's cool. But you know what? It's totally cool that I never know. I don't need to know. I don't need to know anything except I just want to love you more, be more like you, and I'm just going to go after you. Can I put my why questions aside and say, what? I'm going to, go, I'm going to charge you even all the more, Lord God. I'm going to go after you with my whole heart. You with me? Let's don't be a why people. We'll get hit with a why. You have an emotional response with a why. That's totally cool. But flip it. Flip it over to the what. Just as quickly as possible. And let's be a what church. What do we do when the chips are down? What do we do when somebody died? What do we do when I want run through something very personal and deep in my life? And it didn't go as what I was accustomed for the word that I assumed that the word said. What am I going to do? Let's be an offenseless people that don't stumble over the little pieces of life, all right? The second principle. Why what principle? The second principle is this. The teacher is silent principle. The teacher is silent. Now, oftentimes when you go through a mystery in life, when I go through a mystery in life, have you found it to be so that sometimes I'm not hearing anything from God. I don't get any... Clarity. I'm going through one of the most difficult situations in my life and I just have very few answers. Or have you been in a situation where you've really had eloquent, very clear, God-breathed answers for somebody else? And then you come back home to your own life and go, I don't have a clue. I'm oftentimes like that as a pastor. God will enable me to speak into somebody else's life and then I go home really empty-handed. Sometimes I have very low answers for my own. That's, there's design to that. There's design to that. And here's the principle. The teacher is silent principle. When you take a test in school, you remember those? Some of those? Yeah, okay. Frightening tests you go through. When you take a test, when you're going through the test, the teacher's quiet. The teacher's quiet. When you're going through a test, you can't say, uh, excuse me, hey, doc, What's the answer to number 38? 
Oh, thank you. Okay, can you can you just fill this in for me? It wouldn't be a test, would it? When you're going through a test, the teacher's silent. Why? Because it's by design I'm being tested over the material that I've already been walked through. And now it's time to execute. And after I've done the test, the teacher will speak. And I'll collaborate with the teacher. And, and Father God, he'll show me. Now, hey, you need to tweak this son. That's a bit of a wrong attitude there, son. But this is good. That's good. Move with that, son. After. We usually see God after the event. You, I mean, you, we, we get enough in the middle and through it all and God comforts us. But I'm just saying, sometimes clarity comes later. And there's purpose and rhyme and reason in that. The teacher's quiet. When it seems like God's quiet in the middle of a mystery in your life, you're probably going through a test. And God's probably not going to give you the answers. Because He probably already has. And He's just wanting you to go ahead and step up to the plate and execute. And that's okay. I, I, I fail a few and pass a few. And that's all part of life. That's maturity, isn't it? But don't get thrown out of sorts when God seems to be quiet in your greatest point of need. That's by design. And so the teacher is silent principle. Now, the third principle that I want to bring to you today is uh, what I call the attraction of mystery principle. The attraction of mystery principle. Um, anybody see the... Uh, TV show, now it's gone over the last year and a half. But 24, anybody ever watch that series, 24? My gosh, I loved that show. That was my soap. 24, Jack Bauer, you know, it's one of the, it'd be like Lost. Lost is still on, isn't it? I don't, it's not? Okay, well, that kind of breaks my heart too. But when 24 ended, man, it just really, you know, I really had to work through that because I, I miss it. But it was on every, I think, Monday, if you saw 24, one of these action series. And it's mystery, espionage, and Jack Bauer, and the U.S. against Russia, and China, and bombs, and dirty bombs, and all this kind of stuff. It's just great. High body count. It's really good. And, um, but it's a, it's a, it was a mystery thriller. And week by week, my wife and I would sit down, because this was our one big show. And we watched the thing, and this went on for years. Several years. And you get to the end of the show that week and it leaves you hanging. You know what I'm talking about? A lot of these shows do. It leaves you hanging. And I'd get frustrated. Penny get frustrated. Can't believe it. Show just, it wouldn't even tell us what's going on. I don't even know if Jack's going to live or die. How am I going to make it till next Monday? <laughs> but you, and you know, it, it was frustrating. Because there's part of me wanting to have the answers. Okay, but you know what? Next Monday, you know where Penny and I were? Right there, baby. Leaning into it, watching that show, watching Jack Bauer, the Chinese, the Russians, and we're watching all this thing. And you know what would happen at the end of that episode? It'd leave me hanging. Every week it left us hanging. And every week, we're back. And then at the end of the season... The end of the season, it, it usually was a two-hour version. And you'd ramp right up to the end of the season, two-hour show, and there it is. You think, oh, my gosh. <laughs> you get everything together, all your comfort food. 
You're going to watch this last episode and it all, and all will become clear. And you go through that two hours and you know what? It left us hanging. Jack is off on some cruiser on some Chinese ship. And, and you don't know what's going to happen. And then you have to go for months. But you know what? After a number of months, the next season would roll around on a Monday night. Penny and I right there, locked in. We're after it. Mystery engages the human spirit by design. Did you ever see, did you see Inception, the movie a couple years ago, Inception? Oh, it's brilliant. Inception, how about The Tourist, Johnny Depp? You watch some of these movies, some of the, some of the most uh, largest selling books, best selling books, mysteries. Best selling movies, mysteries. Some of the richest films of all time, they're mysteries. They're mysteries. The genre today of, of the series, are, there's, there's got to be mystery to it because it engages the human heart to keep coming back. And God is a God of mystery. And this third principle is the attraction of mystery principle. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, Proverbs 25.2 says. God will conceal things. God will hide so that you go seek. It's a game we play in the playground, but you're playing in the playground of the celestial world too. God will hide. He's wanting you to seek. God will slip behind a situation. And, you can't, and you're going like, oh, where's the Lord in this, you know? And he's like, you can't see it? And he doesn't want us to go, well, forget about it. God, if you can't be right here, I'm going to trip on your mystery. And I've been to Bible school, and I've been to here, and I've been there, but, and so I should figure it out. If I can't figure it out, then... And God wants us to run into mystery and go, God, I don't know what's going on here. I can't even see you, but I know you're there. And, and I may never figure this out, and you owe me nothing. You don't owe me one blasted answer. And, and, and I don't have this thing figured out. I am so weak. I'm so human. But I know you are the only wise God forever and ever. And you have this in a brilliant tapestry of, of divine providential planning. And you understand the end from the beginning. And I'm with you because you know it all. I know nothing, but you know it all. And even though you're not telling me much of anything, I'm attracted to you. I'm with you. Amen. I'm running with you because you know. And it's beautiful that you know. I don't have to know, but it's brilliant and beautiful that you know. And I'm running with you. I, I don't need an answer. I don't have to have everything my own way. I don't have to have everything theologically contained. But the attraction is going to make me keep coming back. Just keep coming back. When you run into a mystery in your life, a breakup in a relationship, a financial, a physical professional, directional, destiny kind of things, and they go askew. And it's a mystery. Why? I thought I did what? And it's, it's a mystery. That There's a magnet in that mystery that God wants to use to draw you 
with greater wholeheartedness toward Him. When God leans back, He wants you to lean in. And mystery is a, is a way to attract. And God utilizes it with divine brilliance above our imagination. He'll dabble mystery into your world that's been chugging right along real clear. He'll dabble in mystery. Now, I'm not accusing God of anything but good. So hear what I'm saying. But I'm saying trite theology can't answer every deep question in life. I've got to get away from that and be more real to the world around me and say there's a thing called mystery. And what this is right here, and the Bible talks about it a lot, this is a mystery. There's maybe a few pieces of it I understand, but bottom line is I don't understand it fully. Here's some scriptures that, that uh, was David's response. Let's go ahead and throw that up there. I think it's Psalm 61. From the end of the earth I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. I'm going to get frustrated. I'm going to get offended. I'm going to push back and not be so zealous anymore. You know what? Don't forget what you know when you're going through something you don't know. Don't forget what you already know. Keep applying it. Keep believing it. That didn't happen. Believe God for healing next time and the next time and the next time for all time. That's what we do. We're not white people. We're white people. And David said, when my heart is overwhelmed, you know what I do? I'm just going to go to the rock that's higher than myself. Look at Psalm 131. Psalm 131. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Isn't that cool? Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. You know what a weaned child is? It's been used to the habit of being fed when it has hunger pangs. To the degree that it no longer freaks out when it doesn't get its bottle immediately. And David said, I'm going to be like a weaned child. God, you've always given me my bottle. And now I'm kind of hurting right now. But you know what? I know I've got enough history with you. I'll get my bottle at the right time. And I'm not going to freak out. And I'm not going to draw back. And I'm not going to trip over this. You're good. And if I go down in this situation... You're still good. And I'm going to be wholehearted after you going down or going up. Either way. Look at this last scripture I think we have up here. Acts 24. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept. This is Paul really on his way to a journey of being beheaded himself. That there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Go on. Thank you. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. This is the old sage, Paul, saying, look, I'm telling you, I've gotten to this old age. I'm, I've, I feel like I'm going to lose my life. And I've really striven hard not to have any kind of offense toward you, but also toward God. I thought I was going to go to Spain. That's what Paul thought. I'm going to take the gospel to Spain. That's not going to happen. But God, I don't have any offense towards you. I'm not tripping. I'm not tripping over this stuff. But the, the mystery of this, I'm going to be drawn to you. Let me end with this thought. Thomas. Of course, we call him Doubting Thomas. And of course, he leaves 
the other uh, ten apostles at that point were in the upper room and, and Jesus walked through the wall and appeared to them and Thomas was out. Um, it's a bad sense of timing. You ever felt like you left <laughs> and something glorious happened? You came back, everybody's like, oh my God, you wouldn't believe in the Lord. And you're like, what, what was he doing? I don't know. Maybe he's at Steak and Shake, getting a shake down the street, whatever. He's just taking a break. He comes back, and everybody's saying, oh, my gosh, Jesus just showed up, walked through the wall. You wouldn't believe it. It's just incredible. And Thomas, as a matter of fact, I won't believe it. And I won't believe it until I see it. You know what? I'm tripping, man. Other people got something from God, and I didn't. I'm tripping. They got that check in the mail, and I really needed it more tripping over that their wife got healed and my wife didn't I'm tripping over that Thomas was tripping he said man I, I can't believe you saw it and I didn't see it and then they're all together Thomas as well and then Jesus does it a second time walks through the wall and goes right up to Thomas and said hey look here's my hold and my hands in my side go ahead and put your hands in my hands in my side Thomas did it. He's, oh, my Lord and my God. You know what Jesus told him? He was merciful, but he said, you know what? Blessed are those that don't see, but they still believe. Don't forget that, Thomas. Don't forget that. Thomas didn't forget it. I've been where Thomas was crucified in Madras, India, and he endured to the end. You've been there too. Endured to the end. Jesus said, blessed are you when you don't see it and you still believe. Blessed are you when you're attracted to me in mystery. Blessed are you when you turn your why into a what. Blessed are you when you concentrate on passing the test when God's quiet. Blessed are you when you don't get offended at me. You know, there's several things we can't, number of things we can't do in heaven. But there's one thing that stands out to me in a paramount way. One thing you will never do in heaven is believe. You'll never do it. It's something on the earth. You'll never believe. There's no reason to believe in heaven. There's no reason for faith. That's why when you trust Him, even when the ship seems to be sinking, and when it went askew, and you say, nevertheless, in your hands I commit my spirit... God is where He always was, on the throne. I'm going to push in, not push back. Amen. When you do that, I think Jesus goes, Oh, that blesses me. That blesses me. Because you're not seeing it, and you may never see it, but you're believing me. Blesses me. Yeah. Let's bless the Lord. And live a life without offense toward God. We pray for you. Father, I ask that you would help us not only in quagmires and issues and mysteries that may be in our life now, but I pray also for times to come. God, really, in, in no foreboding way, but God just knowing that life is, is life. I pray, God, that you would position our heart 
as a people, as a church, individually, families, deepen us and strengthen us that we be a what people, not a why people. That we be unmoved with the mysteries of life. That we're able to step around potential tripping stones. God, take the mysteries of life that are now and in days to come and position in our heart to love you more richly through it. I pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Bless you. Great being with you this morning.